Adam and Eve was born to praise the Lord, to be a living praise in not only the, the praises that come out of our lips, but the actions of our life and everything about us. And that's what this series is all about. In part four this morning, I love the title of this, and uh, it's Let It Get Loud. Now, some people don't like volume. Uh, other people don't believe volume belongs in church. But uh, in this world, there is volume, a lot of volume. And the voice of the Lord needs to be heard. And uh, praise needs to be loud. Somebody say amen. amen. Praise needs to be loud. Psalm 95 and verse 1. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. In case you missed it, there is an implication of volume in there. Let us sing to the Lord and let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Now, let me start with just an obvious uh, observation. Um, but it needs to be renewed, and that is praise is always extroverted. Praise is always effervescent. Praise is always uninhibited. If it's praise, it'll be extroverted. If it's praise to God, it'll be effervescent. If it's praise to God, it'll be uninhibited. Those three words have very specific meanings, though they're similar. Extroverted means it's not introverted. It's not internal. Now there is a place for internal contemplation. Quiet thought, meditation, be still and know that I am God. But that's not praise. It's all right. It's got its place, but it's not praise. If you're going to praise God, praise is extroverted. It's not praise until it's flowing out, extroverting. Praise is also effervescent. Praise is associated with the word shining. And effervescent means that there is a shining out. We were designed to glory in the Lord, and His praise ought to be shining out through us. And finally, praise is uninhibited. And we're going to talk a little bit about inhibition this morning and what it means to be uninhibited. And um, let me just begin by saying the very first casualty of sin was Adam and Eve's attraction for God. What was the very first thing the Bible says happened when Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God? The Bible says they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. There was an instant inhibition within them. They used to be used to the presence of God. They were familiar and they felt comfortable with God's presence. But the first known effect of sin was to be uncomfortable in the presence of God. Inhibition. In fact, let me just say it like this. Self-consciousness replaced God-consciousness. Self-consciousness will always crowd out God-consciousness. When it comes to praising God, if you allow the natural self-consciousness that's embedded in your flesh or in your carnally trained mind or in your emotions, if you allow that inhibition of self-consciousness to the extent that you're self-conscious, to that extent, you will not be God-conscious. The two of them are mutually exclusive. Self-consciousness 
fights against God consciousness. The only time we are ever God conscious is when we are free from being self-conscious. And so being uninhibited is a quality of praise. Can you say amen? amen? You know, even after getting saved, many people's ability to be comfortable praising God gets choked down by inhibition. You might have felt some of it this morning when we first started praising God. It's that feeling of uncertainty and not wanting to be the first to jump out and shout praise the Lord. It's that, uh, that thing that holds us back from praising God. And there's always with those inhibitions, an inhibition to praise God is a form of self-consciousness. And those forms of self-consciousness always have certain rationales or reasons behind them. I want to bring two of the two big ones up. There's inhibition number one and inhibition number, I mean, there's inhibition, not uninhibitedness, inhibition. There's inhibition number one, inhibition number two. The first inhibition that people experience when faced with the challenge to praise the Lord is the fear of saying something foolish or incorrect. We, we hold back and we're inhibited when it comes time to praising the Lord because it's a common mistake to think that God bases your fellowship with Him on ceremony rather than communion. And so we tend to think, well, there's a way to do this, and I'm afraid I might get the way wrong. I might say something wrong. I might quote a verse wrong, or I might step out and praise the Lord, and, and, and the Lord might not like the way I'm doing it. So there's a, there's a natural inhibition, but it's based on the, the wrong thinking that when it comes to praise, God's looking for ceremony. In other words, a prescribed way. And I get it. Because if you read the Old Testament, they were extremely ceremonial. In fact, you could not worship the Lord if you didn't tick all the boxes. You had to step at the right time. There were certain days you could worship God in certain ways. And sometimes you couldn't even do it. You had to send a priest to do it for you. Um, you had to pay for that praise with an offering. And they were extremely ceremonial. And so I could see why people get the idea that praising God is not a free-form practice. It's a ceremonial practice. But since Jesus came, the veil of the temple, which was the most uh, significant barrier to freedom and the, the, the greatest, bar uh, the greatest uh, uh, barrier to ceremony, uh, of ceremony around approaching God was the veil in the temple. And when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says the veil ripped, not from the bottom to the top, but from the top to the bottom. God grabbed it, ripped that veil because he wanted you and I to know he's done with ceremony. Ceremonies only served one purpose, and that was to prepare people's thinking so that the spiritual reality that those ceremonies symbolized would be ready in your mind. When you saw the reality, you go, oh, I understand what that is. I studied the tabernacle, so I know what the body of Christ is. I know what the work of redemption is all about. But God never intended you to live in the scaffolding. He intended you to live in the building that the scaffolding was erected to build. Um, so... Inhibition number one, let's get rid of it. 
the common mistake that God wants ceremony needs to be replaced with the truth that God wants communion. Period, dot, end of sentence. He wants you to be in communion with Him. He takes care of cleansing us. He takes care of preparing us. He makes us appropriate. He just, let's get into it. Let's get it done. You can stand on the shores and have lesson after lesson after lesson about how to swim. But until you get in the water, you're not going to really know what swimming is. I was, um, I was a tall, skinny little boy at five years old, afraid to go in the water. I would be in the baby pool. And my dad, being a man's man, was just embarrassed. And we'd be at the officer's club and, and loaded, filled with people and families and kids splashing and everywhere. And there I was with little two and three-year-olds in the baby pool up to my waist. I would not get into the deep water. My dad kept reasoning with me, Nick, you won't drown. Nick, it's going to be okay. He said, here, I'll even give you one of these life jackets. Remember the great big orange puffy things you'd put on? Can you imagine a skinny kid and an, I'd look like something that you'd stick in a martini? But at any rate, um, finally one day my dad had had it and he realized I'll spend the rest of my life, I'll be a big hairy 17-year-old standing in the baby pool. Something's got to get done. We need to teach him that you've got to get into the water, get wet, get in over your head, and then you'll learn how to swim. So... He had put the vest on me, and I was still resisting. I didn't want to get in the water. And my dad, full of agape, grabbed the, grabbed the collar of the vest and grabbed the seat of my trunks, picked me up like this, and picked me up out of the baby pool and walked over to not the shallow end, but the deep end of the pool lifted me up over his head and threw me, just like a log, threw me out into the pool. Well, wouldn't you know it, I landed upside down. And the head being heavy, and my head was particularly heavy, I, there I was upside down with my feet flailing up in the air, me underwater, and, you know, I eventually righted myself up. It only took me a few moments to realize not only was I not going to die, but this was fabulous. I loved it. By the end of the day, I was like the champ, just because of my personality, I was like, I know exactly, I'm the champion swimmer. I'm like an Olympian <laughs> with the orange vest on. So, and then, of course, it didn't take long after that, and I lost the vest, and... As I grew up, I became a great swimmer and loved the water. So we get the idea that communion, you've got, you got to get into it. You have to get into the presence of God. That's what it's all about. And you've got to lose those inhibitions. Galatians 5, 6 really lays it out for us that God is looking for communion, not form. He doesn't care how silly you look when you hit the water. Just get in. And Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision carries any weight. Now, circumcision was probably the most important, most prominent ceremony for Jewish men to undergo to be accepted. You couldn't even worship. They'd throw you out of church. You had to be circumcised. So that was everything. And now to tell people 
You don't have to be circumcised. God could care less. You mean all this time? I could go off. I'm not going to. But at any rate, the Bible says, in Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision carries any weight. The only thing that matters is faith working through love. So we praise God, not by ceremony, but because He loves us. Praise works because Jesus loves you. Let me say that again. Praise works because Jesus loves you. Not because you are a certain way, but because He welcomes that praise from you. Because He loves you. All right, now let's take inhibition number two off the table. Inhibition number two is probably more prevalent than inhibition number one. Inhibition number two to praising God is the fear of looking foolish in front of other people. None of us want to admit it, but most of us have some trace or abundance of the fear of what people are going to think. Why, if I get out and dance, we usually say I'm too old for that, but what that means is I'll look silly when I fall over. Or if I lose my balance and go stumbling, I'm going to have a hard time convincing people that's a step. <laughs> so we are worried about how we're going to look to others. And look, I'm not going to play with you on this point because we need to slay this. We really need to drill this inhibition. And so I'm going to tell you right now, you're not helping others by protecting their inhibitions with your timidity. Amen. Because that's the only reason why we're worried about what other people think is because they themselves are inhibited. And we don't like to be uninhibited around inhibited people. If you go into an inhibited church, first church of the holy inhibition, that's the last place you want to be uninhibited. Now, I understand there's an appropriate time and a place for everything. I'm not, I'm not you know, saying that we don't recognize those, those guidelines. But the fact is, when the time is now and the place is here, why are we being inhibited? So we need to stop worrying about what other people think and stop guarding their inhibitions with our restrictiveness and our timidity. Psalm 34 really nails this by saying, I will praise the Lord at all times. My mouth will continually praise Him. I will boast in the Lord. Let me pause for a moment. Boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. I want you to just think about that for a moment. Bragging about God. Boasting in the Lord. The Lord boasts, I mean the Lord. The word boast means to shine, to make a show. That's, you know, a lot of us have been taught it's improper to boast. It's improper to make a show. Yes, to sh make a show or to boast about oneself, to project self, yes. But when it comes to God, you can't boast enough. You can't shine enough. In fact, boasting means not only to make a show, but it means to be clamorously foolish about it and to celebrate. Now, we want to praise God, but we want to do it in style. There's nothing more funny, nothing more hysterical to go into a church that has a particular way of praising God and do it in a different way. 
Everybody looks over at you like, that's not the appropriate dance. And everybody's got their method. You know, you go into different churches, they all have their style. But the important thing is, is that you boast in the Lord. So the Bible says, I will praise the Lord at all times. Praise will continually be in my mouth. I will make my boast in the Lord. Now, here's the important part. Let the oppressed hear and rejoice. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. So here we are worried that other people are going to see us praise God. And God's saying, that's the whole point. Did you catch that? Let the oppressed hear me praise God. And let's praise the Lord together. Why? Because God wants to let the oppressed go free. God wants you to boast in front of others so that that boasting can release them. So it can bring freedom. So it can bring the glory of God to others. So let us praise the name of the Lord together, David said. So look, God wants us to share His praise with one another and with other people. If you're going to go around and make an impression on people, God says, fine, I want the primary impression you make is to be not just, I'm a Christian, look at the bumper stickers on my car, or I'm a Christian, look, I have a Bible, or I'm a Christian, you see my little thing on my desk, my little Jesus bobble thing, or whatever it is that identifies you as a Christian. That's not what God's interested in. God says, I want them to hear you rejoice. I want people to hear you praise God. I I don't want just your fellow Christians. I want the oppressed to hear you praise God. I want those that are in darkness to hear you praise God. You say, well, I'm going to feel foolish. You probably will. Until you wake up and realize, why in the world am I feeling foolish? Because Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to me. Jesus is what makes me awesome. Jesus is what makes me beautiful. Jesus is what makes me smart. Jesus took my ashes and gave me beauty. Jesus took my broken down state and put me back together. Why would I want to hide the glory that I was built to give? So we, God says, I want everybody to hear you praising God. You see, a lot of the stuff we do as Christians around unsaved people is to impress them with ourselves. We want them to see that, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not like those Christians. You know, oh, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm cool. Or I'm a Christian, but, but yeah, you would never, you know, you would invite me to your party. And that's why people aren't getting saved. That's why, people say, that's why people say, oh yeah, I got Christian friends, but they're not saved and their Christian friends are saved. And that's why their friends aren't getting saved. So the fact is that God wants others to see and hear us shine. Hallelujah. Let's praise his name together. Let me say this. The conclusion of wisdom Christians always want to become wise. We ought to seek wisdom. Did you know that the, that the final result, the conclusion, any path uh, of seeking out wisdom should conclude with praising God? The conclusion of wisdom is to praise the Lord. True wisdom will always lead to 
you praising the Lord. Wisdom leads to praise. Many people's idea of wisdom is wisdom leads to more learning. Wisdom leads to debate. Wisdom leads to running around and being the person with the answers. But real wisdom results in praise. If you see somebody who has truly become wise, I'll show you someone who praises the Lord's not ashamed of it. If you see somebody that claims to be wise, or maybe they know a lot, maybe they know a lot of truth and everything they know is right. If they are not a praiser, a public praiser, uninhibited, then they need to go back to wisdom school because they haven't reached the end of wisdom. Listen, Psalm 107, you want to read that entire psalm. I'm not going to read it this morning, but I'm going to read you the first statement and the last statement of that psalm. It's a fantastic psalm, and it starts by saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. And His loyal love, or His mercy, His loyal love endures forever. Let those delivered by the Lord say so. One version says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Another version says, let those delivered by the Lord speak out. So if you have been delivered by the Lord, you ought to be saying so. You ought to be speaking out. So it says, let those delivered by the Lord say so. Those whom he delivered from the power of the enemy. And then for the next several verses, from verse 3 down to verse 40, 41, is a long recitation on the history of God's acts of deliverance for His people. It's one example after another of how God healed people, how God delivered people, how people cried out to Him and He sent His word and delivered them and, and protected them. One example in history after another, the psalmist lists. And when he gets down to the very end of the list, David concludes in verse 42 by saying, Now, when the godly see this, they rejoice. They say so. So if you see that God is a deliverer, if you see that He has been faithful, if you realize that, if you are wise and you understand the Lord is a deliverer, has delivered people, then you ought to say so. You ought to declare it. That's the end of wisdom. It's not to know it and do nothing. It's to know it and show it. Can you say amen? amen. So when the godly see this, they rejoice, the psalmist said. So I would like to tell it to you like this. When you have seen the goodness of God, you've experienced His deliverance, then say so by praising Him. That's what God has blessed you for so that that praise can ignite you. That's what the fire that He baptizes us with is there for. It's so that we can shine and that we can be bold. And like I said, the, the title of this message is Let It Get Loud. Hallelujah, let it get loud. And I know that some of you, it's in your nature to be loud. So this will come easy to you. But probably most people, it's in their nature to be quiet. Um, 
And uh, most people who are more contemplative, they like to think things through and they like to chew on things and understand. Look at people who tend to be loud as being a little impulsive, a little quick. They're going to be the first ones to jump up and shout something before they really know what they're talking about. And so we who are maybe a little more contemplative, we like to sit back and really chew on the word and think about it. You know, we don't want to say anything foolish. But look at that foolish person over there jumping around in church and shouting, praise you, Jesus, and everything. Doesn't she know that her car's got the bumpers falling off, one of the wheels flat outside? It's ridiculous to praise God when you're in such a shabby condition. And so we analyze. Those that are not bold will sit back and always analyze those that are bold. But you know what? There comes a point where as a Christian you need to realize it's jump in or forget it. Stay in the shallow water with a big you know, with a big orange vest on, or get out there in the deep water and move. God's created you for the deep water. He's created you for His presence, so let's let it get loud. Can you say amen? amen. Look, if you need a little verse to back this up, Psalm 66 and verse 8 says, Bless our God, O you people. Let the sound of His praise be heard. You want to write that one down, Psalm 66, 8? Let the sound of His praise be heard. That means volume. Volume. Well, how loud does it have to be? How far till everybody in the room hears you praising God? Till they hear you across the street? Wherever there's people that are unsaved and need to hear the glory of God, maybe it needs to reach to them. The sound of His praise needs to be heard wherever he needs to be glorified. Can you say amen? amen. So <clears throat> God wants people hearing you praise him. That's, this is so elementary. But let me say it in church. And if I say it like from the pulpit, people go, oh, it's authoritative. This is the truth. You know, if I just happen to read this in the Bible, I'll just think about it, set it aside. But oh, that came across the pulpit. So... I need to be challenged. Good, let me challenge you with this. God wants people hearing you praise the Lord. You know what? People all the time argue, God's not deaf. He can hear what's going on in my mind. But what I'm trying to point out to you is that a lot of these verses that we use to talk about praising God Talk about specifically other people hearing you praise God and the fact that that's what God wants. God wants, let us exalt His name together. Let the sound of His praise be heard. God wants people hearing you praise God. Some of you, God, nobody else has heard you praise God in years. And you're good, you're cool with that. Because you feel like the Lord knows that I love Him. That's not the purpose. That's not what praise is all about. Praise is all about you being what you were created to be, which is the effulgence, the uninhibited force of the glory of God radiating out. See, you're not going to be happy till you radiate. Have you ever realized that? Whenever you're really happy, it's because there's some effulgence going on. There's, there's some radiating happening. Nobody, nobody's happy constipated. 
Nobody's ever happy backed up. When it's all backed up and you just, you're just quiet and you're sitting within yourself, you may be content, but trust me, you're not in your glory. Nobody's in their glory in that condition. You're in your glory when you are moving and showing and glowing. Hallelujah. And blowing up all over the place. God wants people hearing you praise Him. So let's sing loudly together. And let me tell you why we should be singing loudly together. We should be singing loudly together because praising God loudly together brings an atmosphere for Holy Spirit filling. Ephesians 5, 18 through 19 says, And do not get drunk with wine, but be ever filled and stimulated with the Holy Spirit. Now let me pause for a moment because a lot of you know what's coming next, but let me just make a little comment. Why in the world is he talking about being filled with the Spirit in connection with being drunk? Because they're associated. People have had a tough week. Go out to the bar Friday happy hour. Why? They want to unwind. They want to let it out. They've been putting up with this nonsense and ignorant people and, and telling them what to do and just having to walk that, that uh, 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 being stuffed in that, those quarters all week long, dealing with stuff. They want to get it out and they go out to the bar. And they, they, they spread their wings, hallelujah, and they get outside themselves and it takes a few drinks to get you there. Now, I'm not preaching that we should go out and get a few drinks in us to loosen up, but there's probably not too many people here that don't know exactly what I'm talking about. I love those little dudes that go out to the bar and they've been walking around all week long, little guys getting you know, getting uh, uh, overlooked and set aside. Nobody thinks they're huge. Nobody thinks they're strong. Nobody thinks they're tough. And them little guys get out in that bar and they get some drinking going on. And all of a sudden, out comes the monster. Out comes the big burly dude. And the little dude is spinning some big guy around on the stool and trying to, trying to knock him off his stool because he's had a few drinks in him. He's limbered up. And now... The, the self that he sees, the self that he has been harboring down inside, took a few drinks to pry it loose, but it's coming out. See, he loses his inhibition. And he gets bold. And he gets crazy. But he's happy. He's happy. He's, he's just feeling, you know, what he is. He's, he's thinking, you know, who he was, who he is. Glory to God. So, but Paul says, look, we're Christians. Don't go out and get drunk in order to get loose, to get free, to get uninhibited. He's saying it because God wants you loose. He wants you uninhibited. He doesn't want you to be ridiculous. He does want you, however, to be loose. He wants you to be free. He wants you uninhibited. So he says, don't get drunk because... You always start out with a little inhibition, but then you end up turning into a total fool. Or you commit some crime and you spend the weekend in jail. You know what I'm saying? He says, don't get drunk with wine, for there is debauchery. In other words, you get high 
first of all, you're going to end up getting addicted to the stuff um, because you want that feeling of freedom. So you start out by going to drinking to get there, and now you can't stop doing it because that's when you feel yourself. But Paul says, uh-uh, don't do that because that's not where it's at. However, where you got to, the place you got to when you did drink, God does want you there. But the way to get there is to praise God. That's exactly what he's saying. Be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but get filled with the Holy Spirit. Now he's going to tell you how to get filled with the Spirit. Get filled with the Spirit speaking out to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Anybody tell me what a spiritual song is? Psalms, scripture songs, hymns, written songs about God. What's a spiritual song? Spiritual song is not swing low, sweet chariot. Nope. Singing in tongues. A spiritual song is when you you've run out of words in your own language to sing and you're singing in tongues. That's a spiritual song. Hallelujah. It's the only one that understands it's the Spirit. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Your Spirit and the Holy Spirit. And they're communing together. So Paul says, look, I want you uninhibited. And God wants you uninhibited. So sing to one another. Sing at one another. Notice he's not saying worship is supposed to be come together, but don't let anybody hear you. Remain isolated in your own little, your own little shell of individuality. No, he says, let it out. Let it out together. Praise the Lord together. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I want to hear Chris praise the Lord. And yeah, he's silly when he does it. And I love it because afterwards I can laugh. I can say, did you see, hear him? Praise God, that was so silly. But you know what? It was freeing. It freed me. It pulled me in. When I see Jesse shouting and praising God or Antonio, what's the next thing that happens? I start getting sucked in. I get sucked right in. Don't you? You get sucked in when other people pray. That's what the Bible says. Speak to one another. Look, have you ever noticed it never works to get up and beat the church into praise that does, you know, what's the matter with you people? Can't you praise God? Hadn't the Lord been good enough to anybody? You know, when you're just sitting there, you're becoming more self-conscious. But when somebody gets up in front of the church and says, man, Jesus is worthy. He is the I am, the first and the last. He's more than enough. He's the glory and the lifter of my head. I just praise Him today. You see, you're not being talked down to. In fact, they're talking to the Lord. Somebody's praising God. And the glory is opening up. What's happening? Speak to one another in Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody from your heart to the Lord. When you do it collectively together, an atmosphere opens up for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God comes corporately and collectively into that place where we are praising. And if there's anything empty, God fills it. If there's anything empty that's praising Him, God will fill it up. Somebody say amen, amen. if you know what I'm talking about. I wish I could camp up. Got to move on. Um, 
Let's sing loudly together because not only does it create an atmosphere for the infilling of the Spirit, we ought to be singing loudly together because praising God loudly together brings Jesus' words that are within us to life. Let me give an example. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, if you're a Christian, you've, heard the, you've read the Bible, you've got some teaching, there's some level of the Word of God that's dwelling in you. But is it dwelling in you richly? You see, if it's dwelling in you richly, the Bible says, let the Word of God dwell in you richly. That means it's producing fruit. It's flowing. It's moving. It's not just stuff you know. It's stuff that's happening. What you know about God's Word. Listen. God is not the least bit impressed with how much of the Bible you know. You know, the Pharisees really knew the Scriptures. And uh, they gave Jesus a hard time with it all the time. I can tell you that God could care less how much Scripture you know. Is the Word of God dwelling in you richly? In other words, <coughs> is it producing in you the truth of what God's Word is? So it's not how much you know, but... Is Jesus showing through your life? Is the things that you know in God's Word actually manifesting in your life? Isn't that amazing? So the Scripture says in order for that to happen, if we want the things we know about God's Word to actually be flowing through our life, this Bible says, let the Word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Now there's that wisdom again. So look. There's a place for the classroom when we get out, the, get out the overhead and we're teaching, we're breaking down the verses and we're breaking it down and teaching them, John, and this Greek word means this and that Hebrew word means that and you see this word over here in the Old Testament with this scripture in the New Testament, it ties together in the tabernacle and, uh, and, the, and the glory of God and Adam and, and, and the prophets and we're teaching all this stuff and people's heads about to bust open and they're like, oh, it's amazing. See, we're packing the Word in. We're teaching them in all wisdom. But it's not wisdom yet, just because you know it, just because you've sat and listened to it being taught. It's not wisdom. All it is is just a bunch of collected thoughts, and you're sitting there all excited because you learned something cool, but it's not wisdom yet. Listen, let that Word dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness from your hearts to God. The teaching, every teaching session ought to end up with people praising God. Until we are speaking to one another in praise, all that stuff you learn is nothing but dead, dry knowledge. But it becomes wisdom when you start praising the Lord. It's, and think about it. When you've had times in your own devotional experience of just praising the Lord, hasn't, hasn't it happened to you that things that you learn come alive and they float up and you're like, wow, that thing that God showed you, the thing the pastor spoke on, or the thing you read just pops up in your mind. Now that thing's alive and you're praising God and it's coming out of your mouth and you are speaking out that thing that you learned. Now you've got wisdom. Hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. So 
Let me also say this, and I think this will be the last point that I need to make. Shouting our praise, because singing's not the only way to let the, the sound of God's praise be heard. There's clapping, there's shouting, all those things the Bible says to do. Praise the Lord. Laughing, then our mouth was filled with laughter. Um, all those expressions of joy unto the Lord. They're all there in the scripture. But I'll, I'll point out this one about shouting. Praise the Lord. Shouting our praise. Why is that important? Especially for you people that you're the more contemplative types. I've never shouted in my life. I don't even shout at my kids when they set the, the bed on fire. Um, I just go, oh, oh, honey. No, no. So it's just not in me to shout. I'm just not a shouter. So why should I shout praise? Unto the Lord. All right. Well, our scripture that we opened up with, hallelujah, said, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us, he's talking about, is you part of us? Is you? All right. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. The reason it's important is because shouting our praise is an act of covenantal authority. Now, I don't have time to teach on the blood covenant, but the blood covenant is that act whereby Jesus came, poured out his blood, was divided like the sacrificial animal offered up when God and Abraham made the covenant. And Jesus represented both halves of that covenant. He represented God and he represented man. In his death and resurrection, both God and man bound together, died, became the sacrifice, rose from the dead. We are in blood covenant with God. Blood covenant has a lot of qualities, but one of the most important qualities is if Terry and I are in blood covenant together, if I pick up an enemy, he's Terry's enemy. If Terry runs into an enemy, someone attacks him, they've attacked me. If I find out that his house is surrounded by the enemy, I come running. No ifs, ands, or buts. We are in covenant. So when you're in covenant with God, all of his assets become your assets. When you're in covenant with God, all of your liabilities become his liabilities. Guess what? His assets wash your liabilities. Somebody say amen. So... Praising God with a shout is the expression, the, the expressing, the acting on covenantal authority. Come, let us sing to the Lord. This is a statement about covenant. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. That term, rock of our salvation, is a reference to the covenant God made to absolutely, with solid assuredness, Bring salvation into the world. Hallelujah. Shout joyfully to Jesus, the rock of our salvation. And again, you know, there's bound to be somebody saying, well, God's not deaf. Yeah, honey, that's true, but he's not nervous either. God, volume does not bother God. Have you ever noticed volume? He could not be the least. He has no issues with volume. It's our covenantal, in fact, responsibility to declare Jesus' triumph over sin and over the devil. In the world that we walk through today, we should be boldly praising God for Jesus' triumph over the devil, for Jesus' triumph over sin and, and his, his defeat 
of all of those things that have to do with the curse. We should be praising God loudly because there is a covenantal element. When we do that, the very atmosphere receives a challenge. The forces of darkness, the prince of the power of the air, there is established a challenge. My authority is greater than your authority. Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give you authority over all of the power of the enemy. The world is powerful, but you have authority to bring the throne, the kingdom of God, to bear in those situations. You don't do it until you start praising God in that situation. Isaiah 40, verse 9 says, O you who bring good tidings to Zion, Get up to the high mountain, O you who bring glad tidings to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Did you catch that? Now, we, we don't live near Jerusalem, but we certainly live near Clearwater. Hallelujah. In fact, right now we're in the middle of it. And we are, we are surrounded by uh, Palm Harbor and Safety Harbor and Dunedin and Largo and Seminole and, uh, and uh, St. Pete and uh, Pinellas Park and all of these communities. The Bible says we ought to get up on a high mountain, a mountain of volume. And we ought to be lifting our voice with a shout and saying to Clearwater, Behold your God. Behold your God. But the timidity in the reservation is, well, the Scientologists are here. Or the this is happening. Or there's sinners there. Yeah, that's why Jesus came. He didn't run away from any of that. Matter of fact, Jesus marched right into the center of religious bigotry and, and uh, carnal human control and boldly proclaimed the Father. And so the Bible says, Get up on a high mountain and shout the good tidings. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. That's God's word. And so when declaring the Lord's praise, we're not to be timid. We're not to be lacking energy. I mean, I understand if you're really physically weak, you have to sit down. That's okay. But get out what you can. You know, if all you can get out is just, well, praise you, Jesus, then do that. Hallelujah. But get that praise out. Thank you, Lord. We, we need to make sure that our praise reflects the boldness of the Lord. Our praise reflects His boldness. Let them shout for joy. Psalm 35, 27. This is the last one I'll share. This, is, this verse, by the way, is amazing. I might have even saved the best for last. Psalm 37, uh, 35, 27. Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. Yes, let them say continually, the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Well, that phrase jumped out to me, those who favor my righteous cause. In the world today, we are surrounded by all kinds of nonsense. And Christians are 
we are really good at pointing out what's wrong with all the stuff that's going on in the world. That's craziness. You see what's on Facebook? Have you seen what's on the TV? Listen to the news lately. See what the, did you did you did you know what I saw on YouTube? Do you know what they're doing? I saw the other day that somebody's invented a uh, a tongue for you to lick your cat with. Tell me that we don't have too much time on our hands. Somebody's making money. It's a little plastic tongue. You stick it on your tongue, and you can bond with your cat, you know. And in this age of, you know, you can identi- you identify with your kitty cat. And I saw, some, I saw some fool on there with the big plastic little tongue. Some, some 20-something-year-old dude licking his cat. And I thought to myself, truly, truly, just crazy out there. It's just crazy. So, all right, there's plenty of causes out there. But instead of retreating, instead of just sitting back and grumbling and complaining and going, they're just crazy. There's off the leash. It's just gone. It's ridiculous. I'm retreating back into my little, my little celestial, uh, 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 ecclesiastical um, uh, cocoon and wait till Jesus comes. He will understand. No, he won't understand. He won't understand. Because the Bible says, if you favor my righteous cause, if you believe that there is no nuttiness, that I cannot break through it to save that soul. If you believe that there's nobody so far gone that God can't reach them, or there's somebody that, that doesn't deserve the agape, the love of God, if you believe that, then you will sit down and be silent. But if you don't believe that, if you believe that Jesus still saves, hallelujah, and that you were probably a little bit nutty before he saved and delivered you, then the Bible says you favor God's righteous cause. God's righteous cause is to win the lost. And all those causes out there, there's not a single one of them that cannot be overturned, subplanted, and replaced by the Lord's righteous cause. Unrighteous causes can be defeated by God's righteous cause. So the Bible says the way to do it is to raise a whole lot of money, find a candidate that will get about halfway in there, and then they'll peel off and leave you, take the money and leave you. No, that's, that's not what the Bible says is the way to deal with the unrighteous causes. The way to deal with the unrighteous cause, the way to deal with the unrighteous causes is to introduce God's righteous cause. So the Bible says, let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. Let them say continually, the Lord be magnified who takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. In other words, get the, get the praisers out in front of the soldiers and begin to praise the Lord. Because this battle cannot be won by you and I through any other means other than bringing the presence of God through our praise. So, if we want to see God's righteous cause prevail in matters here in the earth, then God says that we need to execute our covenant privilege by praising Him with joy for the outcome in advance before we see it. So the next time that we have an opportunity to gather together, bring your praise and let it get loud. Amen? All right, close your Bible. Let's stand together.
Well, the Lord's worthy to be praised. Amen. Everything that He's done, glory to God, we ought to be shining. Hallelujah. Could you join me right now? And let's just give thanks to the Lord. And bless Him because He is victorious. And whatever there is going on in our lives today, Jesus is still the answer. Hallelujah. Lord, we open our heart. We come boldly into Your presence. We just say, Lord, thank You. Thank You, Lord, for loving us. Thank You for loving the world. Lord, I want You to hear my voice praising You. Glory to God. And the Bible says, let us praise His name together. So you don't need to be listening to me. You just go ahead and praise Him. And let's do it together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise and we magnify you. You are wonderful, Lord. May my spirit, Lord, reach out and praise you. And magnify you and thank you. Lord, for everything that I praise you for are those very things that I need in my life. Thank you for being my shepherd. Thank you, Lord, for being my righteousness. Thank you, Lord, for lifting up my head. Thank you for being my wisdom. I praise you and thank you, Lord, for joy. I thank you, Lord, for being accepted in you. Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath magnify His holy name. Hallelujah. Bless the name of the Lord forever. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Who is like the Lord? He is the yoke breaker. Before we go this morning, we're not going to shut up shop without having an opportunity to pray and lay hands on people that just need, just need that anointing that breaks the yoke, that, that touch from God. Hallelujah. It may be a need for healing in your life. It may be a, a struggle that you, you just know somewhere the enemies put up some roadblocks of resistance. You just want some believers to stand with you and believe God for there to be a turnaround. Or maybe you just want somebody to lay hands on you and just praise God over you that, that uh, those breakthroughs that you want to see, that refreshing. Remember that one of the things that happens in praise is the fresh outpouring of the Spirit. So maybe you're just a little dry and you need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so a couple of us could get around you and just begin to praise the Lord with you. Hallelujah. And let that outpouring of the Holy Spirit come. So if you'd like, uh, if you'd like some of us to pray over you and, and to lay hands on you, feel free right now. If there's even just one person, we're going to hold things. Hallelujah. Until we pray for everybody that wants prayer. And you know what? You can sit. Let's just, let's just undo one of these seats here. There you go, honey. That's your special chair right there. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, everybody. Come on down who wants prayer. Thank you, Lord. Terry, if you'll come. Anybody that wants to join us. Um, Giselle, if you want to join us. Terry, if you want to join us to pray over people. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, Lord.